Well, I love anything that measures the passage of time. And you can use anything that changes in time as a clock uh, of, of varying accuracy. For example, people have made clocks based on the decay rate or the rotting rate of like a prawn sandwich. You can also make a, a clock, not very accurate clock, but one that measures you know, days going by by measuring the amount of brown on a banana, for example. Hello, and welcome back to Relatively Certain, a podcast about science straight from researchers at the University of Maryland. I'm Emily Edwards, and today we'll talk about clocks. Not so much those really gross food ones, but we will glimpse the oldest and newest forms of timekeeping through the eyes of one of my physicist colleagues. My name is Dre Porto, and I am with the National Institute of Standards and Technology, and I'm a fellow of the Joint Quantum Institute. One day, I heard that Porto was working on an unlikely home improvement project. He was using a beam of sunlight to make a sundial, and I just had to know why someone who spends their days using lasers and atoms to study quantum physics would spend their spare time thinking about an ancient form of timekeeping. So I was in my bedroom one morning, quite early, and there was a small hole in the curtains, and I noticed there was a a spot uh, of light on the far wall. And that spot of light was actually moving at a speed that I could visibly see it. Uh, And it really impressed me. Really gave me a visceral sense of the the, the fact that the Earth was moving underneath me and taking me along with it. And I could really see the rotation. And and I realized that it was a pretty accurate way to measure time. So after I learned about all of this, I went home and became a bit of a sun watcher myself. And one afternoon, my daughter and I used stickers to monitor its movements. Don't moved! Don't moved! Why do you think it moved? Because the sun is moving. Because the sun is moving, people. And people who cannot see it, it is very, very, very awesome! My kid ran off after that, but for Porto, the observation was only the beginning. His interest was rooted in the physics behind the moving light. So the, the thing that really got me excited, to be honest, is the realization that I could calculate it uh, and compare it to the calculation. And so I sat down and, and for fun, did the calculation. Porto showed me the calculation, and he explained that he needed to take into account a whole slew of things in order to get it just right. Things like the tilt of the Earth on its axis, the ellipticity of the Earth's orbit, and even the time of year. And once I did that, I realized that it's actually pretty accurate, uh, and I can use it as a timepiece. And in order to use it as a timepiece, I have to put markings on the wall. One of the challenges was drawing out the the markings in the right place uh, and the sort of physical act of painting the wall in addition to convincing my wife to let me paint the sundial on the wall. So with his wife's blessing to move forward on his project, Porto made two pencil marks on the wall at each time. So at 7 a.m., there was a mark for where his calculation said the sun should be, and a second one for where the sun actually was. To get those second real-world markings, he first drilled a hole through a piece of wood. He positioned the wood block in front of the sunbeam. This technique projected a nice circular spot of light onto the wall, one that was easy to follow as the sun rose. What was also neat is that the pinhole not only helped track the journey of the light, it also created an image, an effect that may sound familiar to solar eclipse viewers. When the days are cloudy and the, the, um, 
the sundial doesn't work as well as a timepiece. It works as a sort of camera or image maker of the outside world, and I can see the trees and the clouds uh, on, the, on my far wall. They're just inverted upside down. This drilling holes and painting spots, it sounds a little low-tech, but in fact, Porto used quite a few gadgets along the way. That's the interesting thing. I was working on making a sundial, which is this ancient timepiece, but I used a lot of modern technology to do it. I used the NIST time to get an accurate measurement of the time. I used uh, Google Maps to determine the exact latitude of where our house is and the exact orientation of the house with respect to the North uh, Pole. And using all of that information, I could input that into the calculation and determine where the sunspot should be. Using all of this, he found that his clock was surprisingly accurate at telling him the time. Clock was accurate enough that I needed accurate timing in order to compare correctly. So I used my phone as a reference for the clock and didn't realize and found out later that it doesn't always update its timing and it can be as much as a minute off. So I, there's a nice NIST app uh, that gives you the NIST time, which is, which is very accurate. And I redid the measurements using the times that uh, I got from the NIST app. And then the agreement was much, much better. I could predict where the sun spot would be on the wall to within about an inch, which is maybe 30 or 40 seconds. Now you might be thinking, hold up. Porto seems to have wandered off with his calculation. Ancient folks use sundials all the time, and they didn't need any of this wizardry. And you would be right. They just had a pointy thing that cast a shadow onto a plate. Different markings, like those found on a watch face, indicated the relative time. So you could check the time by checking which marking the shadow struck. This brings us to an important distinction, one that separates sundials, prawn clocks, and other relative measures of time from modern timekeeping. The sundial is basically, as a calendar and a timepiece, is basically the same as it has been for thousands of years. The main difference now is that we understand the relative motion of the sun with respect to the Earth, and we can use it to determine the time in in absolute terms as opposed to in relative terms. I actually had the physics and the technology to accurately predict where it was as opposed to just observe and, and measure it. What Porto is talking about when he says absolute time is the existence of a standard of time, a definition of how long a second actually is. It's something beyond just predicting where the sun goes using physics. The length of a single second is actually agreed upon internationally and relies on atomic physics. Porto's area of expertise. So if you want to keep time and you want to keep time accurately, you need some physical thing that ticks, that does something repetitive uh, as a function of time. The simplest version is a pendulum that swings back and forth, uh, but it, it's subject to all kinds of fluctuations. The air, the length of the pendulum can drift as a function of temperature. So what you would like is something that ticks very accurately and the same all the time. And it turns out that if you take uh, certain atoms and you look at how they, they spin or oscillate, they oscillate at the, the exact same frequency if you get the conditions right 
all the time. And so you can take some of the, the cesium atoms, cesium is the current definition of the second, and I can take some of the cesium atoms and measure uh, how fast they, they oscillate or spin. Uh, and we can compare that. And in fact, it, we can compare it so well that, that they decided, the international community decided to define the second in terms of how many times the cesium atom has oscillated. Uh, and that's the current definition of the second. And the committee purposefully picked the number of cesium oscillations to match what we are familiar with when it comes to time. There's 24 hours in a day, there are 60 minutes in an hour, and there are 60 seconds in a minute. And so just how good are those clocks based on atoms? The current best clocks in the world lose a second over about 15 billion years, which is longer than the age of the universe. Uh, so they're extremely accurate. Um, and in fact, the current best clocks are so accurate that they're going to probably redefine the second in terms of the new clocks instead of the old cesium clocks. So with so many ways to keep time and keep it quite perfectly, in fact, I wondered why Porto would continue on with his sundial, especially after he had dug into the physics problem and worked out all the kinks in the calculation. In the end, like so many timepieces, there was an element of beauty. There's an artistic uh, nature to painting on the wall uh, because the pattern that the sun makes on the wall uh, at measured at the same time every day is, is called an analemma and it's basically a sort of lopsided figure eight uh, and it's a really pretty shape uh, and part of the, the attraction to painting it on the wall is it's a really nice pattern and I wanted to sort of add some artistic uh, flourishes to it as well. So that's it for today. Thanks to Dr. Trey Porto for sharing his hobby with us and for talking about keeping time. His sundial is an ongoing project, and since we interviewed him, he has come across some interesting limitations related to how sunlight bends through the Earth's atmosphere. With this added complication, he thinks the overall clock's precision is closer to a minute. A big thanks also to my daughter for getting us pumped up about tracking the sun. We will be back in a few weeks with another episode. I'm Emily Edwards, and this has been Relatively Certain. Thanks for listening.